Hey everybody, Emily here. I just wanted to come in at the top of the show with a couple of content warnings. Frida Kahlo had a very rough life, so there are some things that might be a little difficult for some of our listeners to hear. These content warnings include an auto accident and descriptions of recovery, miscarriage, infidelity, and suicide. So if any of these are going to be a little too much for you, you can join us next week, okay? Love y'all. Science and technology! Co-host Emily Shock. I'm Zachary Shock, your co-host, husband, and number one fan of Emily. Oh, ha, 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 ha. You're so cute. <laughs> <laughs> so we're on our tenth, 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 tenth episode. So, so, so. Wow, you're so good at adding effects in post. Wow, wow, paste. wow, wow. We're probably at more than ten, 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 because of the mini sode, 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 sode. I believe we're what, thirteen, fourteen? I don't know. Math. But this is the tenth big one, and I'm very, very excited about it. Woo! We have a new mic set up. Hopefully, today we're coming to you nice and crisp and clean. Gonna get that ASMR clicks. The, the tip of the Ba-ba-ba. teeth. The lips, the tongue, the tip of the teeth. This whole episode. Sorry, folks. We're, we're taking a new direction. All right. And today we're going to be talking about a lovely Mexican artist, one of the most prolific of her time and possibly in Hall of History. What are you... <laughs> <laughs> I love those cold medicine bottle tapping ASMRs. <laughs> Gotta commit to the bit. You really don't. <laughs> Anywho, can you guess who I'm talking about? Is it Frida Kahlo? It is Frida Kahlo, or her birth name, which was Magdalena Carmen Frida Kahlo y Calderon. But to friends and family and everyone, she was just Frida. Thanks for not having me say that. You're welcome. <laughs> She was born July 6th, 1907, in Coyoacan, a small village on the outskirts of Mexico City, though nowadays it's part of Mexico City proper in the historic district. I mean, cities just grow oh, like yeah, that, no. so... <laughs> but, but, but back then, it was, it was just, just right on the outskirts. She was born in a lovely home, one story that her father built... That was painted a bright cobalt blue. Oh, that, was it? Was it like one of those that are like completely one color, like solid? Oh yes, oh, and man. it was gorgeous. It still is gorgeous because it's that same color. It's called the Blue House. Nowadays, creative. it's creative. <laughs> La Casa Azul. Uh, nowadays, it's the Frida Kahlo Museum, okay. and it will come up a lot in our story. So she was born there, one of four daughters of Guillermo and Matilda. Guillermo Kahlo was actually born Carl Wilhelm Kahlo in Pforzheim, Germany. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He was one of many German Jews that immigrated to Mexico at the time, and he changed his name to sound a little more Spanish. He was a photographer, very well-known and talented. 
and he was married to Frida's mother, Matilda Calderon y Gonzalez, uh, who was of indigenous and Spanish descent and was extremely super devoutly Catholic. Sounds about right. <laughs> uh, their marriage throughout their lives was profoundly unhappy. Mm. Oops. <laughs> they married shortly after Guillermo's first wife died. And when I say shortly, I mean she died in childbirth. And later that evening, Guillermo asked Matilda's father for her hand in marriage. That you, you can't do that. Just immediately. <laughs> in childbirth, even. And <laughs> So one of the... Uh, Children were separate mothers? Well, actually, uh, the baby didn't make it either. There were two older daughters that of, of Guillermo and his first wife that Matilda wanted nothing to do with, so they were raised in a convent. Okay. And as for Matilda, her first love died when they were both very young, and so she never was really in love with Guillermo, wasn't very happy. Very contentious marriage there. <laughs> Just all awful all around. So many bad circumstances. So as I said, Frida was one of four daughters, other than the older two. So Guillermo had a total of six daughters. Okay. And then four with Matilda. Frida was the third one. And she was particularly close with her father. He was not afraid to say that she was his favorite. <laughs> she, he, according to him, and just factually, she was extremely smart. And so he really latched onto her, and they spent a lot of time together. She posed for his portraits all the time, which is why later in life she was always super photogenic. She, she learned how to work a camera from the time she could walk. Yeah, you know, it's just... Press the button on top and point and click. That's not at all what I meant, even. That's not even a good joke, because it's not the wrong side of the camera. When I say work a camera, I mean, like, look pretty for one. Fine. Bad joke. <laughs> um, so, Mr. History Buff, perhaps you can answer this. Do you know what happened in Mexico in 1910? Uh, I know that... Sometime around there, General Pershing uh, went down into there, and so I think it was like what, a civil war of some sort, and they helped? It was the Mexican Revolution. Okay. The civilist of wars. <laughs> I mean, close enough. <laughs> um, so Frida was three when it started, though for a while there she would say she was born in 1910 because she really wanted to be, like, associated with it. <laughs> But she was, she was three. You can't just do that. <laughs> uh, so a little story about like what the deal with the Mexican Revolution was. The president was Porfirio Diaz, and he was president for 31 years. And also no one could vote. <laughs> and also only like 10 people had any money or power. Sounds familiar. So familiar. Russia. <laughs> 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 so, of course, eventually, uh, resistance rose up, and there there were a bunch of very famous generals like uh, Pancho Villa, that kind of era. They rose up, toppled Diaz's regime, drafted a new constitution, and started a whole new era of Mexican government and culture. So nice. Before, you know, when like 10 people had all the power, it was very Frenchified. Like, 
Mexican culture really had nothing to do with it. It was just, we are very fancy people who happen to live here, and I guess there's like a million peasants. Is this during the, like, seven years that France owned them? No, that was, that was way earlier. Although, oh, you know what? Yes. Because the second French intervention in Mexico ended in 1867, so if he was... Yes! So he was in power for 31 (laughs) years, that was right. (laughs) When it happened, 1907, boom, you were so right. Very Frenchified. And after, they wanted to focus solely on creating a new purely Mexican voice, bringing back the indigenous cultures, bringing back, not only bringing stuff back, but creating new things that are purely Mexican. And Frida would have a lot to do with that in her life. And during during the fights, Frida and her sister would hide in cabinets while gunfire whirred outside. Soldiers would jump over their garden walls to hide behind them. And like between fights, her mother would feed the soldiers. So she was literally right there in the crossfire for all of it. (laughs) And to continue the super fun childhood, when Frida was six, she contracted polio. Uh, It took her six months to recover, and afterwards, her right leg was thinner and shorter than the other one, which earned her the name Peg Leg from all the super fun and cool kids. Uh, She would hide it throughout her life by wearing trousers and really long skirts. Okay. And her father encouraged her, in in order to work up her self-esteem and the strength back in her leg, he encouraged her to do all kinds of physical activity, even ones that were not particularly ladylike, like wrestling, swimming, boxing, other, other things like that. Other unladylike behavior was pretty prevalent in her life, too, including wearing men's suits often. Okay. And... If you look at older books, it's like, she liked to be silly and wear men's suits, but she very much, she was very openly bisexual, very much did not care about gender in any way, <laughs> be it sleeping with or conforming to. Oh, they were best friends forever. Besties. She had so many friends that were girls. They lived together happily ever after. There is one particular family photo where she's wearing a suit, and you can tell everyone in her family is just like, Frida! They're all just glaring back at her. Stop! But she did not. So in 1922, at the age of 15, and this was after the revolution had had ended and they were moving towards rebuilding a Mexican heritage... Uh, She enrolled in La Preparatoria, the Mexican National Preparatory School. She was one of the very first classes of girls. Uh, There were 35 girls. It was the first time they ever let girls into the school. And she started studying with the ultimate goal of becoming a doctor. Did they have separate classes for men and women? Nope. Nope, they were all integrated once the the girls were in there. They all took the same classes. In fact, she joined a gang... Shortly after going to school, because she's Frida Kahlo. Of course she did. They called themselves Los Cachuchas, named after a very loose type of cap that they would wear in order to rebel against the dress code. Whoa. He's so cool. We're such a gang. (laughs) And it wasn't just stuff like that. They also had very left-leaning communist political views that they shared in common. They would pull pranks throughout the school. One time they brought a donkey to class. Another time they set off fireworks right outside a teacher's window. Did they invent the senior prank? 
<laughs> I'm not I'm not gonna look that one up. I'm just gonna say yes. <laughs> <laughs> and the leader of Los Cachuchas was Alejandro Gomez Arias, and he and Frida fell down desperately in love oh they loved each other it was uh high school sweethearts they wrote each other letters they spent all their time together frida cheated on him a bunch but it's fine i mean was it at least open (laughs) no Uh, but 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 even though she cheated on him a bunch, we'll talk about that later she was she loved him so deeply and was so enamored with him one day, everything changed. When bum, the bum, Fire bum. Nation attacked. <laughs> it was then. <laughs> no. Okay. On September 17th, 1925, Frida and Alejandro were heading back to Coyoacan from Mexico City after getting done with school. And they got on a bus. And at the time, buses were made of wood. So kind of like a trolley, but like not on a track. Okay. And they were just notoriously not very safe. The the drivers were young and reckless. They had, you know, <laughs> images of the Virgin Mary who would protect them, so they didn't care. <laughs> and oftentimes Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> literally. And oftentimes they would kind of go head to head with trolleys and like play chicken. Kinda play chicken, but like they would always make it. You they would usually make it. <laughs> they and like pass right in front of it right before it goes. This time not so much. No. Uh, so they were heading home, and the bus drove right in front of a trolley, which T-boned them and kept moving because it's a trolley. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so Alejandro described it. The bus, you know, was made of wood, so it bent for a really long time before it just shattered into a million splinters of wood everywhere. Two people died on in, in bleh. two people died on impact. A bunch of people were injured, in particular Frida, very very badly. Oh no! Um, she ended up with a metal handrail going into her hip, and all the way out the other side. During the crash, her clothes had been ripped off, and a painter or a contractor or somebody had been carrying gold luster powder to, like, mix into their paint. Okay. And it had ended up spilled all over her. Oof. And so there was a child at some point screaming, like, save the ballerina. Oh, no. Because she she was, you know, golden and lustrous and bloody and... Ooh. A worker saw her with that handrail sticking out of her and decided that he needed to pull it out. Which I don't know, but I feel like that was a really bad idea. Do I take it out or leave it in? Do I take it out or leave it in? (laughs) So he put his knee on her, grabbed the handrail, and yanked it out. And her screams afterward drowned out the sirens. Ow. At the end of it all, uh, her spinal column was broken in three places. Her collarbone and third and fourth ribs were broken. Her right leg had 11 fractures. The right foot was dislocated and crushed. Her left shoulder was out of joint, and her pelvis was broken in three places. Was she, like, on the side that got hit? It didn't really matter. It it, it split in half. Yeah, okay. Everyone went everywhere. Oof. In fact, when 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 they finally got to the hospital, 
she laid there for a while because with triage, they were like, we're not going to be able to save her. Yeah. But they eventually got to her and were able to operate and keep her alive. But she was convalesced for two whole years. Oof. She had to lay in bed completely still in all kinds of body casts and and later, like, vest supports made of leather. Mm. And so, you know, that sucks no matter what, right? <laughs> yeah. On top of it, she had been raised to work through insecurity and sadness with physical activity and she couldn't yeah there was nothing she could do Mm. so eventually her parents decided well let's let her paint they her mother put together an easel that could fit over her bed like over top of her kind of like a like a breakfast in bed tray but with paints and an easel on it. Yeah. And her father hung a mirror up above her bed so she could always use herself as a model. Okay. Uh, which, I don't know if, if you know of her art, but that was her thing. Self-portraits of all kinds. Mm. Realism, surrealism, a lot of surrealism. <laughs> but it, it started here, and she said, I paint myself because I am often alone, and I am the subject I know best. So she's literally laying in bed for two years, alone most of the time. Painting herself. Yeah. So after the accident, Alejandro and Frida drifted apart, partly because of, you know, the stress and trauma of the accident, Mm -hmm. and because he found out about all the cheating. (laughs) (laughs) With boys and girls. Yeah. Great. Um, she, She continued to love and pine after him from afar, and one of her earliest completed self-portraits she made for him as a gift and instructed him like hang it a little lower than you so that it can be like you're looking at me in this portrait in particular you see the beginnings of she i mean she never really cared about what people thought about how she looked but especially when she was laid up for two years she didn't tweeze her unibrow yeah she didn't wax her upper lip better look good for nobody (laughs) She was over it, and she never really did ever again. And yeah. and this was very prominent in this very first portrait. So her and Alejandro were done. Eventually, she stopped pining after him, too. And a new love came into her life. One that would last for the rest of her days. And Art. art. <laughs> nope, even more. It screwed her up bad, man. Diego Rivera, have you heard of him? It sounds familiar, but no. A very prominent Mexican artist, famous for his mural work. Um, After the revolution, he had been in Europe studying art. He came back to Mexico and was hired along with a bunch of other artists to just put murals up anywhere and everywhere they could. To really find that Mexican artistic voice and get it out there. Jump started. Yeah. Yeah. And his first assignment was to do mural work in La Preparatoria. And at that point, Frida knew him and she would make fun of him all the time and like steal his paints and nanny nanny boo boo kind of stuff. And then he was done with his mural and he left and they drifted apart. And then they met again uh, during a meeting of the Mexican Communist Party uh, when she was 17. Okay. So she showed him some of her art because, you know, she remembered him as an artist 
that had been doing stuff in her school. And he was amazed by it. He was blown away and was like, please never stop painting. Keep doing this. No. You're doing like a really good job. <laughs> and they, they fell in love. He Aww. was 21 years older than her. <laughs> and her parents did not like him. <laughs> she, uh, she once told a journalist, quote, when I was 17, Diego began to fall in love with me. My father didn't like him because he was a communist and because they said he looked like a fat, fat, fat Bruegel. They said it was like an elephant marrying a dove. Oh, no. <laughs> I mean, he was bigger and like, not just like bigger in weight, but like tall. Yeah. He was a big boy. And Bruegel's uh, one of the Dutch masters, which is that comparison there. Okay. Looked like a fat painter. Yeah. But it was Frida. She didn't care what anyone else thought. And she was obsessed with him. And he loved her like a little fragile toy that she was to him. And they married August 21st, 1929. Okay. Um, her father was basically like, look, she's sick. She's never going to not be sick. But she is smart. She's a good person. If you can appreciate her for that, then okay, you have my blessing. <laughs> I'm not sure if you kept that promise, but they were married. And the beginning of a long, tumultuous, once divorced and then remarried, marriage with many affairs on both sides, <laughs> began that day. Cool. I need a break. So let's go... Home. No. <laughs> let's go to the alchemy lab. Yay! This is Jesse. And this is Griffin. And we're Avocado Toast. We're a news and social commentary podcast by young people for young people. Have you ever wanted to know more about climate change? The social conflict in Venezuela? Or maybe why Trump sucks so bad? Then we might be the podcast for you. New episodes every week. You can find us on iTunes or Google Play. Just go and search Avocado Toast. Check us out. Eat the rich. So Frida and Diego were just married, and almost immediately they started traveling a lot because Diego had been commissioned to do murals throughout the United States. By, like, the government or, like, just self-parties? or By private parties, in particular. Okay. Which is funny to me because such a communist. <laughs> But accepted money from very rich Americans in order to... You gotta do what you gotta do to get by. Starving artists. <laughs> so in, in 1930, a few months after they got married, they moved to San Francisco for his first set of murals. And Frida hated it. Womp. She missed Mexican food... Americans looked like, quote, unfried dough, and they were crass and boring. Everything was machinery and pipelines and smog and what? Weren't there Taco Bells around there? No. <laughs> <laughs> and even so. <laughs> um, one of her pieces is called Self-Portrait Along the Borderline Between Mexico and the United States, and it's really uh, indicative of how she was feeling at this point. She's right in the middle in her... You'll often see her in her very bright and traditional Mexican clothing, the floor length, very colorful skirt, mm. flowers everywhere. So she's standing there on her right side, the viewer's left, 
is Mexico, and the sun and the moon are both over there. Fresh produce is growing from the ground. There's history, there's culture, there's color and brightness. And then on her left is America, and it's all just skylines and pipes and machines and <laughs> smoke and bleh. What, what so like her being on the border was it like the Mona Lisa where like the, one side was smiling one side was frowning no it was, she was just kind of generally unhappy uh, <laughs> so understandable San Francisco bad time for Frida next stop was New York where she had a little bit of a better time it was a more cultured place than San Francisco at the time she had more art more theater more things to to partake in that were more than just like look at all this industry. <laughs> so better time in new york and next was detroit and detroit was bad for several different reasons first off it's detroit it's detroit <laughs> second off sorry detroit listeners they know we love you <laughs> second off she hated meeting with all these capitalists like henry ford in particular because one these hotels that these Detroit capitalists owned, some of them wouldn't take Jewish uh, guests. Mm. Her dad was Jewish. Yeah. And also, you don't have to be related to someone who's Jewish for that to suck. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Two, um, she wrote to her friend that she felt, quote, a bit of a rage against all the rich guys here, since I have seen thousands of people in the most terrible misery without anything to eat and with no place to sleep. That is what has impressed me most here. It is terrifying to see the rich having parties day and night while thousands and thousands of people are dying of hunger. She gets it. Yep. She, she gets it. Weird that she's a communist. Ooh. Also, also, she was pregnant. It was the second time she had gotten pregnant. The first time uh, she had a medically necessary abortion because the that accident when she was a teenager... Really ripped up her insides oh, on top yeah. of her spine being broken. You know, organs and stuff were scarred and moved around. Yeah. Uh, the doctors in Detroit for this one, though, were very adamant. Like, you know, if you can lay low for nine months, we'll watch over you and you can have a C-section and this baby will be fine. And her and Diego really wanted this baby. So they listened. And then one night she woke up and she was bleeding and it didn't stop. Oh, no. So it was July of 1932 she miscarried, and mm. she had a hemorrhage that caused her to be hospitalized for two full weeks. Wow. Uh, one of her most heart-wrenching pieces comes from this period. It's called uh, Henry Ford Hospital, and it shows her lying in a hospital bed, which is like marked Henry Ford Hospital, in the middle of this nondescript field with with Detroit skyline in the background. She's naked and bloody and coming out of her stomach are six ribbons that are very umbilical cord like. Mm -hmm. And attached to these six, six ribbons are the fetus of the baby. She miscarried an orthopedic cast for the pelvic area, which is something she would have had to wear after her accident, a machine sort of like representing the, you know, Detroit's a very industrialized place. Yeah. An orchid symbolizing the uterus, a pelvis, you get that one, 
and also a snail that she later told people represented that like this this miscarriage and the the procedure to to get the fetus out and all that it just took so long and mm. it was just like it couldn't just be over with she had to suffer through it for so long yeah and this is really when her art became very surrealist very personal this was also the first one that she painted on a little tin plate very that that's how uh mexican votive paintings were you know very small personal things that they could carry around painted on metal so so she started doing that in in a way to bring mexican culture into her art and she started doing that all the time yeah kind of bringing it to america and and just like bringing it back into into like art yeah uh, so after their time in Detroit, they returned to New York in 1933, and Frida so desperately wanted to go home. She hated it here. She was no longer enjoying herself in any way. And Diego didn't want to go. He thought Mexico was boring. He thought America is where the next great revolution was going to be. <laughs> Eventually, we're getting there, Diego. Someday. <laughs> still, still working real we're hard trying. towards it. <laughs> um... And this is where she created another piece called My Dress Hangs There, symbolized her desire to leave the desolation of New York and go back home to Mexico. And Diego fought her every step of the way, but eventually they ran out of money. He stopped getting commissions. Mm -hmm. And so their friends bought them ferry tickets and they headed back to Mexico City. Frida was overjoyed. She she was finally back home, but Diego was extremely unhappy, and he kind of blamed Frida for it, even though, like, if you made more money, you could have stayed there, but... You could have been a better artist. <sighs> He's a great artist. They, he just painted a bunch of murals. Anyway, uh, so he blamed Frida for it and wanted to get back at her, so he had another affair. They had, they had both had many at this point, <laughs> but this one was with Christina... Frida's younger sister. That that ain't good. And it was bad. This was the straw that broke the camel's back for Frida. You know, she she was always a little hypocritical and being upset by his infidelities. <laughs> but at this point, she was like, you know what? Fine. I guess fidelity means nothing to him. I'm out of here. It means nothing to me either. Bye. So she moved out of their house and got a little apartment in Mexico City thought about divorcing him, and had all kinds of affairs with both men and women. (laughs) Just so many. More than usual. Three a day. (laughs) This only lasted for a little less than a year, and they eventually reconciled both her and Diego and her and her younger sister. And she moved back to San Angel with Diego later that year into a house that he had built. And it's actually a very cool house. It's, It's basically two houses. His was pink and white. Hers was blue, and they were connected on the top floor by a bridge that she could lock on her side. <laughs> so, like, no, I don't want to talk to you today. This is our house, but it's not your house. <laughs> you can stay on your house, and I'll be in my house. It's like one of those sitcoms where the house was divided down the middle. <laughs> so in 36, her and Diego kind of revived their, their communist actions, and they... Overthrew the proletariat. Yeah, pretty much. No. <laughs> but this was around the same time as all the stuff going on in Russia with Leon Trotsky. Oh, wait, the pro- <laughs> proletariat, aren't they? Anyway. Anyway. <laughs> so 
they convinced the Mexican government to let to 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 grant asylum to Trotsky and his wife. And uh, Frida let them both live in the Blue House in Coyoacan, uh, rent-free for a year. Hmm. And also had an affair with Leon. <laughs> <laughs> also that. Another one of her self-portraits was a gift to him afterwards. Like, hey, we're still, we're still cool. <laughs> in 1938, she had her first solo exhibit. It was in New York. And it was a debut at the Museum of Modern Art. So in 1938, Frida had her first solo exhibit. She debuted in New York at the Museum of Modern Art at MoMA. Okay. Uh, all kinds of American artists were there, including Georgia O'Keeffe, you know, the flowers that were lady bits. <laughs> <laughs> and over half of her paintings were sold that day. So wow. very good turnout. It was great. Short, $30. <laughs> like five bucks. <laughs> no, a lot more than that. I don't know how much, but... It was like the 40s. Yeah. Uh, shortly after that, she had another solo exhibit in France in 1939. And not as many of her paintings sold that day, but the Louvre did buy her piece, The Frame. She became the first Mexican artist to be featured in the Louvre's collection. Wow. Uh, the frame was a self-portrait, of course. It was against a brilliant lapis lazuli blue background and... <gasps> no, not that one. No. <laughs> and painted around it was a frame of brightly colored Mexican birds and flowers. So, good. Like, this is Mexican art. Mm -hmm. Example. So she got back from Paris, successful time, got put in the Louvre, and Diego divorced her. Ugh, come uh, on. People asked him why, and it was like, you know, like, did she cheat on you again? Did you cheat on her again? What's the deal? And he said, quote, it was a matter of legal convenience in the style of modern times. There are no sentimental, artistic, or economic reasons. <laughs> uh, people thought it was because they were cheating on each other all the time. Fair, but like, come on. <laughs> so, <laughs> so they divorced, and she moved back to the Blue House. And she sort of had this moment where she was just totally free. She cut her hair short. She stopped wearing all that brightly co colored Mexican clothing because that was like what Diego wanted her to wear. Hmm. So she started wearing more masculine clothes again. Okay. Um, had a lot more affairs, particularly with women this time. She always did have affairs with women, but like this was like a woman-centric time. <laughs> time to get back. <laughs> and... Artistically, she changed a little. She started painting on larger canvases rather than the small tin sheets and doing more three-quarter length portraits for the main purpose of they sold better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so some of her most famous works came from this time, including The Two Fridas, which is like a version of her when she was young and pure, wearing white, and a version of her now. And the young version had cut out her heart and give it to the new one and all kinds of symbolism. Uh, self-portrait with cropped hair, because she cut her hair off. The Wounded Table. Self-portrait with a thorn necklace and hummingbird, which that one's probably the one, like, when you think a self-portrait of Frida Kahlo, that's probably the one you're thinking of. Mm. So, in 1940, uh, Trotsky, her old fling, was assassinated. And Frida and Diego were both considered suspects for a little bit. Because they knew the guy that did it. Like, they were friends with him. Ah. Uh. 
So she and her younger sister were arrested and held for two days, but they didn't have anything on her. They let her go. Afterward, she traveled to San Francisco to get some more medical treatment. And like, needless to say, because of that accident, throughout this whole time, she was pretty much constantly getting some kind of medical treatment. Yeah, I'd imagine so with the polio and the, the, uh, the everything. You know, the <laughs> breaking always. all the bones. Yeah. So she traveled to San Francisco, and Diego was there as well because he was fleeing from being accused of killing Trotsky. <laughs> and at this point, they reconciled and remarried. They were still obsessed with each other and kind of got it out of their system and came back together. And this time, they kind of cared, like... They always knew about the affairs, but they'd still get mad about them. <laughs> this time, it was a lot more open. I'm just like, I just love you. It. You're my favorite. But like, I'm going to go sleep with some other ladies. <laughs> Both of us. I mean. Eh. Also, I don't, I, I don't have time to get into it in this episode. Diego was super problematic in a lot of ways. Don't come out of this thinking he was worthy of her love. Because <laughs> he was not. But we have other things to talk about. <laughs> she thought he was worthy of her love, so... And she was wrong. Okay. <laughs> so, 1943, at this point, they were able to get back to, to the Blue House and continue living in Mexico. And she began teaching at the National Painting School in Mexico City. She had a bunch of students, and um, I watched the PBS documentary about her, and a lot of them are still alive today and, like, actively working. Well, they were at the time that the film was made, which I think was a while ago, but still. <laughs> um, so that I highly recommend that documentary. There's a lot of firsthand sources. It's great. But her health continued to fail as she got older, and she couldn't travel as much, so she extended an invitation to her students to come to the Blue House to learn. And a lot of them dropped out, but like four or five of them still were very loyal students and came and learned from her every day. Oh, wow. Yeah. Good students. So her health continued to decline, as you can expect. And in 1945, she traveled to New York to get surgery on her spine that failed spectacularly. Oh, no. Uh, it was made worse because at this point she was just tired of it and she didn't rest as long as she should have and she popped her stitches and reopened wounds and it was it was bad yeah like at this point like it's either gonna work or it's not yeah. i don't care so it, this was another period where some super surrealistic and like deeply personal works came out the broken column is like her back but it's split open and you can see this very her spine with all the screws and stuff in it oh geez uh, without hope is a really dark one. At one point, they had to force feed her because she didn't want to eat anymore, and the doctor was like, "You have to eat, or you're never gonna get better." So they they force fed her, <sighs> and this one it's just like this big lump of stuff funneling down into her mouth, Oof. and one is just like crazy sur surrealism called the wounded deer, and it's literally just like a deer. With a bunch of arrows in it, and also it has her face. Has the deer, or just in the picture? Like, like the deer's head is her head. Okay. <laughs> um, 1950, she had another failed surgery, and that one put her in a wheelchair for the rest of her life. Mm. After this, I mean, she was always super communist, but after this, it was like, what she did was go to communist rallies and campaign for peace and, you know, she always had to wear body casts or, like, uh, 
support garments of some kind. Yeah. There's a picture of her showing off. She would paint them, and it just had the big hammer and sickle right on the middle. <laughs> she was like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, her right leg was amputated in 1953. The polio leg? Yes. Uh, she was bedridden from pneumonia in 1954, but she still wanted to go to a demonstration against the CIA invasion of Guatemala. <laughs> so there's a picture of her all frail and tiny in her wheelchair, and she's just like, boo America. <laughs> <laughs> at, at one point, uh, her friends threw an exhibition for her. And she was 100% like the doctor was like, you cannot get out of bed. So they got her on a stretcher, put her in an ambulance, drove her there, took her out on the stretcher, put her on a bed in the middle of the exhibition <laughs> where all her friends were. Like, it was, that's pretty sweet. <laughs> gonna follow your directions to a T, but I'm still gonna do what I want. Exactly. That was Frida. So her health kept declining, and she kept painting as much as she could. She also had a journal that she kept towards the end that was mostly filled with love poems to Diego and, like, drawings and depictions of, of how she was feeling and what she was thinking. Aww. And her last written words were, I joyfully await the exit, and I hope never to return. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, you know what, girl, you earned it. So July 13th, 1954, she passed away. Uh, she, her, her nurse came in and she, she was gone. The official ruling was like an embolism or something, you know, just like natural causes from being so sick. But some say that she actually committed suicide because she had been given a prescription of no more than seven painkillers at a time. And she had taken 11. Yeah. So combined with those last words, it, yeah. <laughs> uh, <sighs> Diego and her friends took her body, laid it in state under the communist flag in the Palacio de Bellas Artes, the Palace of Fine Art. Hmm. The communist flag caused a little stir. The security had to be on high alert, but there's no other way they could have done it. Yeah, no. <laughs> Uh, she was cremated, and in that PBS documentary, one of her students talks about how brilliantly colored her bones were at the end of it, and how Diego took out his sketchbook and created the last sketch of Frida Kahlo, Aww. which is like, that kills me. Yeah. And her remains were put in a pre-Columbian urn, which is kept at the Blue House, now the Frida Kahlo Museum, which is where she was born, where she died, and where she still is. Wow. So that's the story of Frida Kahlo. <laughs> Wild ride. <laughs> I love her so much. <laughs> she was not afraid to use herself as her muse. She she didn't care if it made her look vain. Mm -hmm. She didn't care about the fact that, you know, she had a unibrow and a hairy lip, whatever. Yeah. She she didn't care about societal standards. She was communist AF. <laughs> I love her. And, you know, I also want to state, we are super white. Yeah. Y'all, we are so white. So we are looking at this, you know, just through a very closed window that we're squinting against. I implore you to go do more research Again, I'm going to bring up that PBS documentary where it just like really, it really shows you how much she contributed to and brought back Mexican art culture. And it's so beautiful and I love her so much. <laughs> and that's Frida Kahlo, my favorite steampunk so far. Wow, that was quite a ride. <laughs> <laughs> I love her so much. 
Just a reminder that we're a part of the Pocket Podcast Network, bringing quality content right to your pocket. Please check out other shows on the network. Uh, no Dice just came off hiatus with their Halloween episode, and also I'm going to be on a show swap episode here in a couple weeks. It's real good. Real good. Uh, other shows include The Ghoul Tank, Simultaneous Catch, That's So Lesbian. There's a bunch of them. Head to pocketpodcastnetwork.com to check them out. And do check out home viewing because that may be the next time you hear us. Aw, yeah, show swap. Follow us at Steampunk's Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Follow me personally at Shockton underscore awesome. And thanks to the band The Crips for the use of their song Marie Curie for our intro and outro. I'm Emily. And I'm Zach. And keep flying, you beautiful, majestic, steam powered horses. She's a double scientist I wanna be Pocket Podcast Network. Quality programming right to your pocket.